joined by Lou Cooperhouse, President and CEO of Blue Nalu. Thank you very much for joining me, Lou. Hey, good day. How are you, Daniel? Pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. I'm very well. Uh, it's like two months, almost two months of um, self-isolation now. I'm starting to get used to working from home. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, same here. It's uh, I'm not used to working at home, but <laughs> looking forward to going back in the office. But yeah. uh, fortunately, we're able to uh, just maintain our efficiency and getting the work done, but just in a different way. That's what it's all about. Uh, I think it's important to be able to uh, evolve and adapt as times change. And uh, yeah, this is certainly an interesting time. And I, one way I, I, I love to start these kind of conversations is just to take a step back a little bit and, and start with the problem. Um, more specifically, what is the problem that, that you saw? Uh, and what is, what's the problem that you're ultimately at Blue Nalu trying to solve? That's a great question, Dan. A great way to get started. Um, Maybe I could actually answer that in the context of, of my career a little bit too, uh, in that um, I've worked in the food industry for 35 years, uh, large companies, small businesses, startups, always doing new business development, always at the intersection of food trends and technology. Mm -hmm. And um, over the last 20 years, I've done a lot of consulting before Bonalu and also um, was the founder and, and executive director of this Rutgers Food Innovation Center, an incubator for startups. And, and frankly, you know, I, I found myself doing a lot of public speaking about food trends technologies and, uh, and, and was literally saw uh, a total transformation that was happening under my eyes and something was the front end of something I thought would be truly game changing, the most disruptive thing the food industry has ever witnessed. And it was alternative protein. And uh, I initially saw that with plant-based uh, with a lot of activity in plant-based with Apostle Foods and Beyond Meat and some plant-based cheeses and dairy products. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, at being a, a lifelong food industry person, I, I obviously have a high value for what consumer attitudes are. And it always does come down to taste ultimately as the experience and the, the people, you know, are willing to do many things for, for the planet and for their health. But, you know, taste is a, is a huge criterion for repeat, you know, purchase. Um, in fact, number one, that being said, so what I saw happening was, oh my God, you could actually manufacture plant-based cheeses that are really as good and they melt and they have the, all the, uh, the same, uh, functionality as conventional cheese. Um, that is enormous. And then I saw it with burgers, the same thing. So we've had plant-based burgers for decades. Mm -hmm. um, but really appealing, as you know, to a to more of a of a vegan, you know, primarily community vegetarian community. <clears throat> so what <clears throat> what Apostle and Beyond did was kind of this new generation of actually manufacturing the same plant based product, but one that where you didn't feel like you were compromising on flavor, texture, yeah, mouthfeel. And and uh, so then I learned about something you know um, that was even more fabulous in my mind, which was cell based. If you can actually manufacture meats without the meat and actually go full circle, um, that is a total game changer. But then to your question, I said, wow, that's an amazing technology. Where might it be most applicable? And the answer quickly came to me um, as I realized that the industry began on the mammalian side with land animals and beef and pork and chicken. I said, my God, that you know, in my opinion, you know, the, the opportunity is clearly there, but it's really there. Uh, the there there, if you will, is a seafood. 
you know, in that um, uh, being, a, again, a food industry person, it's all about, you know, where the greatest opportunity is and also where the technology can be best adapted to solve that need. So back to your question, what's the problem? The problem was, uh, or the opportunity really is, is that people love seafood. It's a global opportunity. There's a migration away from red meat towards fish. Um, you know, you know, doctors are recommending that. Obviously, has a lot of heart healthy omegas and a lot of benefits that people recognize. Yeah, the Mediterranean yeah. diet. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's a staple, obviously, in many nations. And so, and and the UN and uh, many other NGOs are saying, well, it's only going to you know increase considerably. Hmm. So as as GDP increases, and particularly in Asia. But there's already a per capita assumption that's maybe four times United States, for example, or even the EU. Um, what will happen? So obviously we have a problem. As demand is increasing, we have a supply that is really, really challenged. And um, so, you know, what does that mean? So the supply is challenged because we have overfishing, illegal fishing. We're trolling the bottom of our oceans. We have fishnets and microplastics that are creating a... Uh, that are being absorbed into, into bodies of animals that we're consuming as humans. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, there's opportunity, there's issues with mercury and environmental pollutants and toxins and pathogens and parasites, um, that may in fact get absorbed into the body of the fish and the body of which we consume. Um, and you know, now, you know, for, you know, frankly, with this pandemic, uh, there's uh, more of a global awakening about our whole vulnerability of our supply chain. So if ever there is an opportunity as demand increases and supply is increasingly challenged and variable or vulnerable, it's seafood. And as I, I found myself really talking about this and actually described it as a holy grail, you know, of, of anything that food tech has ever seen and the opportunity to actually manufacture seafood using the cell-based technology to clearly be really transformative. And, and, and the way that we're going to approach this and we are approaching this is to really, you know, see this as a third solution to the supply chain. You know, as you talk about sustainability, you know, we, we're encouraging embracing sustainability practices of wild caught and farm raised practices, mm -hmm. but it's not enough. And the world needs a third solution of providing manufacturing seafood. And, you know, and the beauty of what we're doing is we are making a product that's nutritionally, functionally, and from a taste perspective, the same as conventional seafood but using this new technology. So no longer, talk about sustainability, no longer do we need to necessarily ship seafood maybe 7,000, 9,000 miles from Southeast Asia to New York City. Um, by the way, with maybe 30 to 50% bycatch, and by the way, with maybe a 60% yield, because you know, the head and the tail and the bones and the skin mm -hmm. aren't used, um, we can make 100% yield a product from a factory maybe 100 miles away, and it's the same thing. And it creates stability, security, you know, and, and, and of course, it's, it's, uh, it ends the, you know, the animal suffering issues yeah. um, that, that, that occur in, you know, very frequently in this industry and gives consumers a new choice uh, to have a product that has all the benefits of seafood, but without, you know, any of the, the negative consequences that might be associated with it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I mean, you, you've mentioned a, a lot of issues there, both from an environmental standpoint, as well as a human health standpoint and, and animal welfare. Um, when I was, when I was doing the research, the, the thing that jumped out at me the most out of 
anything was that an estimated one to three trillion fishes are harvested commercially for food. Um, That is so much. I mean, I can't even fathom what that actually means. I just know that it's a lot, a boatload. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And no and wonder we're, yeah, no wonder we're overfishing. Yeah. And, 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 and frankly, in this, in this whole, this whole field, um, Daniel, it's, it's hard to get good data. Um, yeah. Because even the word harvesting is confusing because there's an awful lot of what's not really thought about by many people around the world is, is the word bycatch. What does bycatch mean? Bycatch means that I'm out fishing for, for example, tuna mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm, you know, maybe dragging these large nets out there to, you know, to catch in a territory that I might typically find tuna, but there's obviously a lot of other fish that, you know, that uh, mingle and, uh, and, and birds too, you know, and, and all kinds of things are caught in these nets. And obviously we might've heard about turtles and dolphins and other things, other animals too. Um, but that number, you know, as is estimated to be anywhere from 20 to 50% of the, for, for every, for example, three or four fish we catch, you know, maybe one or two of them are bycatch. Wow. And, and sometimes, and I think typically they might be thrown back in the water and they don't necessarily survive. And, and, um, uh, you know, given, given the effects of, of that whole process. So yeah, that's, that's, that, that's why back to the, the, the number of, uh, of the, the, the size of the whole harvest each year is, uh, this is complicated, so they only have estimates, but it's staggering and is frankly the number one source of, you know, animal lives that are, that are go into, you know, the consumption uh, for humans in our diets. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, yeah, there's something very, very sad about that. It's, it's different when you have, if you're like fishing for your own food and you're catching one fish for dinner, or even a couple for like a day or two. When you start thinking about all of that, it's uh, it's heartbreaking. So the so the way you're solving it is through something called cellular aquaculture, and and you mentioned this word cell based. What exactly are we talking about? Yeah, we we actually uh, prefer the term cell based, but we use cell aquaculture to kind of describe it in a in a more in a more generic way. But cell based uh-huh. is a, is a uh, I think frankly resonates because people have become familiar with plant based. Uh, meaning that it has the same experience as meat, but it's using plants. But in their case, it's more of an analog because it's not representing functionally and structurally and at the DNA level, the meat that it is. So we are different than plant-based because we're in fact, not just replicating, we, we are manufacturing um, in our case, seafood directly from fish cells. So to answer your question, what we're doing and others in this industry are doing um, is truly amazing. Uh, we're, we're literally taking a biopsy, you know, a, a sample uh, from a, an animal, um, whether it's a cow or, or a pig or a chicken, in our case, uh, a species of fish, mahi-mahi, red snapper, uh, yellowtail, tuna. Um, and we're isolating uh, either muscle cells or fat cells or connective tissue cells. And these are the cells that are typically found in the, in the seafood you, you, you consume. So, so, you know, if, if you and I were, were out to dinner and, and we both ordered, you know, conventional seafood, we might say, 
oh, that's really that's a it's a really lean piece of fish. Tastes really great. Or you might say, well, I like black cod. It's uh, got a little more fatty flavor, more mouthfeel. Yeah. So what we're really sort of saying is there's more fat cells in, in one, one product and more muscle cells in the other. And, and um, uh, so that's really what we're doing is we're actually um, uh, manufacturing a seafood product that is, in fact, the same uh, in every characteristic as conventional seafood. But uh, the via the, uh, cells that we extracted, and then we, what we do is we're growing them in really large volumes. So to, if, if you were to walk through our factory in the future, you would think you're in a microbrewery. So you're, you, know, you would see large stainless steel tanks. We're not, we don't have you know, beer in there or wine in there and, and yeast uh, fermentation going on or something like that. But instead, we have fish cells that are being bathed in nutrients uh, and growing to larger and larger volumes, they're they're doubling, they're doubling, they're doubling, um, and they're they're making large volumes of these cells. And then we're actually forming these cells into a fillet. Crazy as it sounds, but we're actually able to simulate the same, uh, you know, the same characteristics as seafood uh, that you might consume. So we're making mahi mahi is from mahi mahi fish. We're making red snapper is from red snapper fish shells. Um, so we're we're literally kind of, uh, uh, you know, taking some of the, the same building blocks that are in, in the fish that we love and actually just growing them in, in large volumes and putting them back together again. That's absolutely incredible. So, I mean, when, so the final product, because it sounds like there's a couple of steps in, steps in between and, and we don't need to go into the technical details. So as far as the final product, I mean, could I, in th- like, when it's when it's ready could i actually order like a tuna steak and 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 have that yeah absolutely so it's a great question because what we're what we're as we start this business it's obviously nobody's ever done this before it's very groundbreaking right uh but our our uh we're absolutely focused on just what you described the filet you know it's the it's it's where there's a lot of a lot of industry growth a lot of industry interest and it's something, frankly, that's um, arguably next to impossible to to do at the plant-based level. Um, so as we're looking to make a difference and create a more sustainable global solution for seafood, we really want to focus not on like the patties or the ground products, um, but actually focus on what is, frankly, more difficult, the filet. Mm-hmm. So we can, in fact, uh, you know, how do people consume seafood today? Well, actually, it's really three primary ways if you look at holistically one is we might cook it so what does that mean it might be batter bread and a fried or pan fried um uh you know whether it's fish and chips or whether it's uh, uh just a pan fried filet or it might be um grilled very mm-hmm. common in many fish uh, with some seasoning or seared uh, it might be steamed or poached um and it might be prepared a lot of other ways in which it's heated um, secondly, it might be eaten, uh, if you will, through a, a raw acidification step. So what I mean by that, so if, if I'm going to make a poke or kimchi or ceviche, Yum. so what I'm doing is I'm marrying that product in, in, a, in a, like a vinaigrette type solution, if you will, um, or lime juice or whatever, which is a, but it's a, a, an acidified solution yep. that, you know, that has the effect of cooking the product you know, through, this, through this acid process. And the third way is you might just eat it raw if we're obviously at a sushi restaurant, for example. 
So, so what we've been able to accomplish, and to your point, is to actually uh, last December we did uh, our demonstration event. You know, we believe was the first of its kind globally, uh, where we were able to demonstrate a cell-based seafood product that functioned the same as conventional seafood um, in all those three characteristics. We did various methods of heating, uh, used various recipes for acidification, uh, and then we prepared it in the raw form. And it and it and it had the same structural integrity, um, you know, the same cookability, same characteristics in every way as uh, conventional product. We actually the test product we did was uh, a species called yellowtail amberjack, mm-hmm. um, commonly found on the west coast, but certainly throughout the world. Um, uh, but uh, you know, we were we we're so excited, you know, can you know, candidly because uh, we didn't know either. So you know, we obviously did everything that we thought would work, and then when we heated it up and it smelled like fish cooking. So oh my God, we've done it's it. It's working. It's working. And it's, uh, and it's obviously it's very gratifying. Oh man, that must've been so exciting. Huge milestone. And, and, and now what we're at is to really to, to continue, continually evolve our process and our technology so we can get to larger, larger scale and ultimately launch in commerce. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you have a chance to taste it after it was cooked? Internally, we have uh, we have tasted it. We're, we're not we're not. Uh, uh, it, it's not appropriate for us to do a public event, given that the product you know needs to go through the appropriate FDA. I see. Yeah. Uh, pathways, but internally uh, on the development side, uh, yes, we have uh, tasted it and tried it and measured it and analyzed it in every possible way. Looks like fish. Smells like fish. Tastes like fish. It's done the microscope. It is fish. It's incredible. No, it's, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. So, I, I mean, off the back of what you just said, so, and I, I asked Paul Shapiro about this about five times on when, when I spoke with him, and um, I think it's worth asking anyway, just because people think about this, is it, is it really fish? Like, is it, is it fish? Fish. No, and, and, uh, <laughs> and it's, um, it's not an analogy that, that I really love, but, uh, you know, this, 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 Technology was at one point early on, it's not a very attractive term, but it was called in vitro. Okay. So, so, you know, so the argument is just like human beings can be born outside the body in a different way. Mm-hmm. They're still humans. We all love them. Um, and, 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 uh, but s- same thing. So we're just applying it, you know, a, a finished product in that case, a human, in this case, a, a, a seafood portion, not a living animal, but just a, a filet. Uh, that was prepared a different way. And yeah. frankly, food technology is used. People don't think about how hot dogs are prepared or processed cheese. Uh, mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, uh, even a lot of plant-based products might have a lot of highly processed ingredients in there. People, you know, are just looking for the benefits that, that they seek. And we all have different you know, benefits in mind. Um, but uh, so this is really, if you, you kind of even think about beer or wine, you know, it's, you know, if you kind of get into the weeds or, or kombucha, you know, it's, uh, it's a little different you know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and yogurt for that matter. You know, so, so I think there's, there's just, uh, no, you know, the, the processes by which we produce foods are unknown to many people. This too, you know, you know, is different, but it, it too shall pass, you know, it'll become, oh yeah, it's cell-based. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, what we're offering in fact is benefits. It's the same conventional seafood product, but without concerns for mercury. Yeah, or, just, or toxic, yeah. 
you know, so you know, we feel this is, as we describe it, it's healthy for people, it's humane for sea life, and sustainable for our planet. So, you know, it's, it's a triple, it's a trifecta. It's a yeah. triple. It's incredible. So this area, kind of broadly speaking, is called clean meat, right? Why is it called clean meat? So we don't refer to it as clean meat. And actually that name okay. was, you know, we talked about in vitro, and then the technology was called clean. You know, we actually just like cell-based because it's, okay. it's, more, it's, more, it's more generic, if you will, because mm-hmm. um, it clean meat to, to, you know, and I actually come from the meat industry, you know, my background and the food industry in general. Um, so we're not, we don't want to imply that, you know, any other practices are unclean by saying something else is clean. I see. So, you know, cell base is just a nice vanilla neutral term that, you know, nobody can be offended by. It's just a descriptive term. Um, you know, similarly, we don't want to call lab made. It's not made in a lab. It's made in a factory. So lab made is derogatory towards our industry. Everything came from a lab, yeah. whether it's uh cereal on your breakfast or whatever you might have for lunch or dinner. It all started in R and D in some lab and some food company. And I come from R and D. Um, so it by no means is it lab made. That's that, you know, I, I feel very strongly. That's a very derogatory term and making people think that it's came from a Petri dish, but it's actually, again, coming from a equipment that you're familiar with, like, like stainless steel tanks in a microbrewery, you know, yeah. so, um, uh, so, so again, you know, the, the, the term that we prefer is cell-based. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, I can imagine if we fast forward like 20 years or even more like 50 years when this is just the way it's done, no one's going to think twice. Everyone says plant-based without batting an eyelid and no one, like you said, plant-based, I'm sure if you start reading the back of that package, I mean, there's so many things there that you've never encountered before and cell-based is just going to be just a thing and yeah, it's fine. And, and, and I think, um, you know, plant-based will also evolve just like many products in the food industry have yeah, evolved sure. because frankly, you know, as uh, kind of as you're implying there is, you know, we've all become more desirous as consumers to have, you know, clean labels instead of clean meat, mm-hmm. clean labels, meaning less ingredients, ingredients that we know and recognize that don't come sound processed. Um, so there's been a tremendous movement, again, coming from the food industry towards, you know, eliminating, you know, unnatural or highly processed, refined ingredients um, with uh, ingredients that we were very familiar with. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think we're already starting to see that where plant-based, some of the ingredient statements were over 20 ingredients long um, with a lot of words that, you know, were more than 10 letters are difficult to pronounce. Yeah. And, and um, uh, so that too will change just like we've seen it in other industries and will become increasingly uh, less complicated, simpler, um, and maybe consumers you know, may not have the same sensory experiences that we get from these processed ingredients, but I think that they may decide to maybe give up on that in favor of, you know, cleaner ingredient statements, you know, just to you know, find that right balance. I think the, the plant-based folks did a great job getting started with products that did an awesome job at, at mimicking the same flavor, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, maybe consumers will kind of you know uh, you know adapt to not getting that hundred percent equivalent, but maybe ninety percent is okay with a ingredient statement that's a little bit more you know user friendly from their point of view. Yeah, makes sense. So I mean, you mentioned mahi mahi, you mentioned yellowtail. What kind of fish are you planning to make um, in the future? 
Yeah, we're, we're um, as a company, our initial focus has been on the broad category of finfish. You know, so that's uh, that that could embrace everything from uh, various types of tuna to red snapper, uh, Chilean sea bass, uh, sea bass, etc. And what's really unique about the the seafood industry is because it's imported around the world um, at great distances. You know, with um, uh, I may have mentioned, obviously, it's you know shipping these long distances with the bycatch and and the and the yield loss. So our whole objective is to manufacture seafoods that consumers demand mm-hmm. you know but we're also very conscious of displacing imports you know there's no reason for us to compete with with aquaculture programs uh that do very well for example um so what's our first species to that example is mahi mahi it's a species that's difficult and essentially impossible to farm raise uh so it's not something that can be accomplished and in the U.S., for example, we're importing 94%, 94% of our seafood. It's an issue around the world with, with the huge movement and the environmental footprint and the lack of sustainability, frankly, of the long distances that, that seafood is going. You have caught thousands of miles away on coming over on containers, um, air freight, you know, foam coolers, dry ice, blue ice, wasteful, yeah. you know, concept of manufacturing, you're, we're actually redefining local, making a product close to market. So back to your question. So we're really focusing on introducing a species that makes sense wherever we go to market. So as we launch in Southern California, you know, a species that we all love out here is mahi-mahi. It's obviously has a, some roots in Hawaii as well. It obviously comes from places like uh, Ecuador and Peru, um, imported into, into many parts of the world. Um, but nonetheless, it's a species that uh, uh, San Diego is known, for example, fish tacos, you know, that comes from, you know, grilled mahi-mahi. And uh, so that's kind of our entry point. But we're, but we're, what we're really doing is creating a library, if you will. So, you know, our factory of the future will be able to um, say, oh, my God, you know, some species went on the watch list, no longer available. Price volatility is extraordinary. Something happened. We could say, okay, let's turn off red snapper. Let's turn on tuna. You know, so so you know, it's a total paradigm shift for creating a consistent, stable supply chain. You know, working out some of the uh, the volatility that exists today um, on that supply chain by actually uh, manufacturing seafood that makes sense. You know, and um, but again, our focus is to uh, displace imports. So it's a win-win that in that matter too. So we're literally even creating jobs and building factories, and not competing with you know with successful agriculture programs, but really complementing that supply chain with species that uh, uh, may be distressed, uh, mm-hmm. not available, uh, or for other reasons. It's incredible. I mean, yeah, turning turning on uh mahi mahi turning off red snapper. I mean, that's it's incredible. So I mean, do you do you envision at some point? In the future, when when you say you're scaling up production, I, um, is this going to be only in restaurants, or are you planning to just make it? You can go to any supermarket and you know just buy some fish. We definitely want to be in all channels, so retail, food service, uh, direct, uh, and even supplying other suppliers. You know, uh, essentially, if somebody's making some amazing seafood bisque, for example, mm-hmm. chowders. 
um, we could supply you know our raw material to a suit manufacturer, for example. Um, but you know our, our entry point is food service. It's how many products you know you know launch globally. Um, it's also a way to get started with small volumes, frankly, right. uh, because retail you know requires large volumes, and you know in this brand new industry we're all starting small, all of us, and we're literally. Um, we feel somewhere between a year to year and a half away from actually being in a, in a small test market. So, you know, we, we publicize that that's our goal in the latter half of 2021 that we'll launch in Southern California uh, from our Southern California facility, you know, a small scale test market, you know, uh, perhaps a few hundred pounds per week, not too much, but, but that, that also you know, requires us to have uh, our FDA uh, regulatory pathway you know, identified and all the, all the boxes checked and, uh, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, et cetera. Um, and we're actually have started that process of preparing the required information that will be, uh, needed for that process. Um, so our goal is to kind of work in parallel to have, uh, the FDA pathway, you know, identified and sorted out and our manufacturing capacity in place to occur, you know, at, you know, simultaneously, sometime in in uh, the latter half of 2021 so wow. exciting stuff and that'll be another, our next huge milestone is uh you know that small scale test that's amazing i mean that's so much sooner than i think a lot of people would expect it's much sooner than i would imagine in my mind it's like 2025 2030 is like when these kind of things would happen i guess far in the future 2021 i mean that's gonna be so quick well we're actually, we're actually both right because, you know, we're only starting a small scale, but you're right. It's 2025 to 2030 when some serious volumes will first start. I see. So, so, so I think um, uh, our, our first, you know, line in the sand here is just to get through, you know, all the, all the milestones required to launch into a test market. Mm-hmm. Huge endeavor in itself. It's not about making scale production. As a company, we're very focused on scale production. We have been from day one, but we also describe that process as kind of five distinct phases. You know, um, each phase is is an evolution in engineering milestones, technical accomplishments, and and scale of volume. So, so it's in in, the, in terms of volume, each of our phases is roughly a ten times increase in capacity. So our phase five is a facility that we think can do, you know, 10 to 20 million pounds of production per year. So, so, you know, back to your point about 2025, 2030. So we're seeing that, that first phase five, first phase five facility and perhaps several of them are launching uh, during that latter half of this decade. Uh, so the first, the first of which will hopefully happen towards the middle of the decade, 2025 ish. Uh, and then, you know, several more to follow, you know, hopefully quickly thereafter. So that'll be, that's the game changer. Uh, so now we're starting to see some real market penetration um, and, uh, and doing, you know, some, you know, large scale introduction of the product. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Those are, those are big dreams. I mean, I think you have to have big dreams to really, well, when we're dealing with one to three trillion fishes being caught every year, you have to have big dreams and and you know it's a it's a big issue that requires big solutions and i think this is 
the way that you're you're planning this out and working on it is is the way forward. I mean, you, you just have to. There is no other way to reduce that the amount of impact that we have on on the oceans. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, the, 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 if it's been if we we recognize from day one, you know, we need to find a solution to feed the world. Yeah. You know, this this particular seafood, you know, it is an absolute global problem that needs to be solved. It's it's a classic demand increasing supply at best stable, um, but increasingly compromised and increasingly vulnerable because land animals, you know, if you think about it philosophically, you know, they're on land. I can see them. I can count them. Um, I could test them. Yeah. You know, sea animals are coming from typically the wild, but even in aquaculture, you know, there's issues that occur by having the proximity. We talk about, you know, distance, uh, social distancing for humans at this point in time. There is not social distancing for, for sea animals in aquaculture. Um, so they could, you know, diseases could go from one to the other um, reasonably quickly versus what would occur in the wild. Um, so in both situations, there are, you know, opportunities for improvement that we see cell base, you know, being that solution for. And, um, but yeah, we have to do something, you know, and as you mentioned, it begins with a dream and, you know, and a vision, Yeah. but then that leads to a strategy. And, and when we really, you know, sought, you know, put together our strategy, it was one that we said, um, in order to accomplish this, we need to really look at the holistically at, at how do we, how do we get there? And, we said there's a significant accomplishments that need to happen on the, on the biology side, mm-hmm. significant on the engineering side, operations, uh, process development, um, food safety, regulatory, um, and of course, uh, consumer adoption and awareness and communication. So as a company, we focus on all of those in parallel with a very lean team. Um, Let's get those. Let's figure out how to get these cells to proliferate. Let's do this with a not without genetic engineering. Let's do this um, across a wide array of species, both freshwater and saltwater, mm-hmm. creating really a platform technology. So we're not focused on one fish, but really a supply chain solution. To your point, there's one to three trillion fish. Let's go after the fin fish. It makes up a you know a, a huge component of that seafood supply. Obviously, crustaceans is right behind that. Yeah. Um, but let's uh, let's start off with uh, and and find some commonalities um, uh, where they exist uh, amongst different thin fish species, and uh, and really go after this very aggressively, and also work on the regulatory side, work on the engineering side, think about what large scale production looks like, and you know the the genesis of our company was really uh, being very thoughtful about how do we do this uh, from the get go focus on success based on scale, based on reducing costs as much as possible and creating as many factories around the world as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, So, you know, it's not only has uh, a huge impact on sustainability, but it also has significant economic return as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been, um, we're excited by our growth, but there certainly is uh, a pathway ahead of us. Yeah. It's, there's yeah, lots of work to be done. I mean, do you do you think that at some point in the future you could completely displace seafood as we 
currently know it. I mean, could there be a point where people are just like, you know what, the ocean is too polluted. I'm not into mercury and I don't like plastic. I'd write, I just want to eat pure fish. And I'm, I mean, could, could there be a point where basically actually fishing becomes obsolete? We, we don't necessarily see that at all because obviously many, many communities around the world rely on fishing uh, for their own uh, uh, economic, you know, viability. Um, and, you know, many, you know, so I don't see it ever going away. You know, I, I guess the question is really more about commercial fishing. So yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. One of the projections, um, you know, one, one data point, you know, from uh, one study talks about um, uh, between 2025 and 2040, this one study predicted a 41% annual growth rate for cell-based seafood from baseline of zero, representing by the year 2040, just two decades from now, 20 years, 35% global market share of all protein. So this is the cell-based meats as, at the broad scale. So they're suggesting that if you know, they're proposing or predicting, I should say, that where today conventional animals Land animal or conventional animal supply represents obviously your your base of essentially 100% or 98% whatever the number is of our, our total meat supply protein supply um, that will become unconventional by 2040 and represent just 40% so 40% will be conventional meat 35% will be cell based and 25% will be plant based so you're seeing a 60% displacement so you know consumers will have three choices you know in yeah. two decades. You know, and, and some species might make the most sense coming from conventional sources, some from cell-based, some from plant-based. So to your point, where, where we can address where the greatest environmental concerns might be or um, what, what, whatever the challenge might be against certain species. And, uh, but clearly, consumers will have choice, which, they, which they've always desired. Absolutely. One thought that occurred to me where there could be a potential, a really interesting opportunity is to create um, either in, I mean, you were saying this earlier, endangered fish or currently illegal fish. I mean, there there are certain species that are illegal. I mean, one that came to mind is like whales. <laughs> um, you know, some, some cultures absolutely value whale meat and whale fat. Um, that could be a really interesting opportunity because you you can have your cake and eat it too. You could have your whale and eat it too. We, we could, you know, we're, we're also very conscious of um, not necessarily entering into a, 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 a business sector and creating more market demand for something than currently exists. So, so we don't necessarily want to um, inadvertently threaten, you know, whales by creating, you know, more awareness around whale meat from cell based and, some people might then start to consume it or try to consume it from, you know, today conventional sources. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, so it's, you know, we're, this whole industry requires a lot of thought, you know, and, and, uh, and to really focus on the species that really make the most sense yeah. and, and, and have the greatest possible impact. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a really good point. Certainly wouldn't want to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Road to good intentions. Right. Um, well, yeah. Lou, thank you so much for your time. I think the work you're doing is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I would love to see what, what the world looks like in 10, 15 and 20 years from now. Um, I'm sure the fish will, will be absolutely delicious. Uh, and 
I can't wait to to, uh, to test it out. And so when when um, if anyone's interested in learning more about Blue Nalu and and wants to maybe get in touch or if they want to just be updated, where can they learn more about you and and hear more about everything? No, thanks for asking, Daniel. Yeah, obviously, our if uh, for, for your viewers, uh, our website is uh, www.bluenalu.com. It's B-L-U-E-N-A-L-U, and uh, and certainly um, you'll see uh, uh, on on our team page uh, you know, links to uh, various team members. So feel free to reach out via LinkedIn if that's helpful. Uh, and also, you'll see uh, you know news section and press section with a lot of information about what we're doing. There's also a resource section on our website. For more information about the category, uh, so white papers help you understand a little better. So, you know, we're excited to uh, partner with industry. So, we're we're re- really eager as we grow to you know to develop even more partnerships um, as we go to markets around the world. Awesome. Well, Lou, thank you very much for your time, and uh, hope you can get back to the office soon. And uh, yeah, best of luck as as you you're on this journey. Hopefully, you get that FDA certification easily, and it's a smooth process. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.